Well, my name is Hendrico. I get to be the leader here at this church, and it's a privilege and an honor to serve each and every single one of you. I see some new faces. I'm happy to see them. It's good to see new people in the place. Welcome. I'd love to meet you after the service as well. Have a cup of coffee with you. Well, there's also another two people in this building that uh, mean a lot to me. One of them uh, was a brother outlaw for many years. Uh, now he's a brother-in-law. It's good stuff. Uh, ask me later about that joke. I'll explain it to you. No, he's, they're good people. Uh, for about almost four years, I had zero competition. It was just a walk in the park to be uh, the, the most, the best uh, son-in-law to my parents-in-law. <laughs> Literally no competition. Like none. There was no competition. I was the best son-in-law. Uh, now, though, uh, stiff competition. So uh, I might lose the title as the best son-in-law really soon. Probably already lost it, let's be honest. He's one of the best guys that I know. Uh, so Jesse, we're going to have to sort it out with a game of some sorts. So whoever wins the game, no, not basketball. No, nah, no. Nah. Golf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll beat him. Right. So, well, Resurrection Sunday. Isn't it a privilege to be known by Jesus because of what he did for us? We get to know him too. I do want to recap what I said on Friday, on Easter Friday, Good Friday, because I feel that it is a message that we need to hear often and regularly and continuously remind ourselves of it. And I preached on the criminal on the cross next to Jesus and the whole premise of the message was that it was grace. Grace was extended to this criminal even at his death. And even at Jesus' death, even at his most painful position, his most painful place, he extended grace anyway. And all it took was for the criminal to believe that he was in the wrong, that Jesus is who he says he is, and to declare it out loud in public. And that's how he became saved. He was able to spend eternity with Jesus because of what he did in that moment. And I want to encourage you, if you do not know God, he loves you. He is for you. He created you for a reason, for a purpose. And above all of those reasons and purposes is because he loves you. That's why he created you, because he's a God of love. And love cannot help but to create. And love loves his creation. And that is you. God is love and God is in love with you. Let me pray and then we'll get into today's message. I thank you so much, Jesus, for your love. I thank you that your love drove you to the cross. I thank you that your love took on our pain, our guilt, our shame, and you pinned it to the cross. But you came down from the cross. You laid in the grave for three days, but on the third day, your love rose again. And we are so grateful for that love, Lord. But we know that now it is our turn to walk out what you have started. So God, we pray that this message will resonate in every single one of our spirits, Lord. Let it stir something in our hearts. Let it stir something in our spirits. Let it awaken something in our spirits in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that 
These words are not my words, but they are your words spoken through me. I pray that you will use me in a powerful way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the title of my message this morning is now it's our turn. I want to read from Luke chapter 24. I do want to say, Pastor Neil, you pretty much, what you said in communion, beautiful, but you pretty much stole what was going to be my first point. I felt from the Holy Spirit, Neil Gray is going to say it, so don't say it. So I just left it, but thank you. It was great. So point number one was that. Point number two. Now we'll start in Luke chapter 24, verse 1 to 8. It says this, But very early on Sunday morning, the woman went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. I just want to stop there. It is very abundantly clear that this was a woman that said this to the disciples. Because no man is going to explain two men standing there in dazzling clothes. It's just not going to come out of a man's mouth. We're not going to say, the woman's like, oh, what did he wear? Dazzling clothes. Honey, dazzling. No, it just doesn't happen. So it was clearly, Luke took it very seriously to write down word for word what these women were saying to him. So clothed in dazzling. It's got nothing to do with my message. I just thought it was funny. Verse 5, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men to be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. It's powerful, powerful words, powerful, powerful message that these women receive. Why are you looking for, the, for someone that's alive among the dead? Jesus has risen. Jesus has risen. Easter is a time of year that the whole world stops and we remember what Jesus did for us. On Good Friday, we remember that he took up the cross, that he took our sin and shame and took our debts upon himself and he pinned it to the cross. He did that for us. And then on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate that it didn't hold him down. That death could not hold him down. That he broke the curse of sin over humanity's life that day. And Jesus declared this victory just as he was about to breathe his last breath. Before he died, before he rose again, he declared that it is finished. The victory has been won. He hasn't even died yet, but he knew it is finished. What has finished? The purpose of Jesus coming to earth has finished. He fulfilled his mission. He fulfilled what he was born to do, what he was sent by the Father to do. He was God that came down to earth, that took on flesh and bone to redeem us from our sins. And on the cross, he says, it is finished. It is finished. But now, it is our turn. It is now our turn to do what we have created to do, be, what we have been created to do. I want to encourage you this morning. You have a purpose for your life. 
There is a reason for you existing. There is a reason for you that you were born. There is a reason for you that you're in this room right now. There is a reason for your existence. There is a reason. And you might think I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I cannot articulate what I know to be true about Jesus. All those things do not matter. What you think limit you, what you think holds you back, what you think stops you from being able to do what you have been called to do, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, and I'll tell you why. Because He will meet you where you are. Where you are. Jesus knows our shortcomings. He knows our imperfections. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows everything about us because He created us. But we cannot sit here and think, you messed up, God. You, you made me a little wrong. You made me a little bit too imperfect. You made me a little bit with too many faults and issues and pains and all those things that hold me back. No, Jesus knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing when he created you. And he created you for a purpose. He created you for a purpose. We see that Jesus meets us where we are. In John chapter 21, as an example of Jesus and Peter and the account that they had, Peter was at his lowest moment. Peter was down and out. Peter's best friend had been crucified. And to top it off, Peter rejected his best friend in Jesus' lowest moment. When Jesus somewhat needed him the most, he didn't need him, but in that moment where you thought your friend would stick up for you no matter what, and, and Peter declared that actually, if you read a, a few, few uh, chapters earlier, Peter says, even to death I will not depart from you, Jesus. I will not leave you. And he's at a bonfire at night, just chilling there, trying to peep in what's happening to Jesus. And some, uh, some woman comes up to him. Hey, aren't you, uh, aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, I don't know what you mean. And in that moment, he was scared. In that moment, he buckled. In that moment, he bowed down to the pressures because he's, he's seeing his master being dragged to be crucified, to be killed. And he goes, I don't want that. Even to death. No, but I don't want that. I don't want that death. He buckled. And so Simon in his, or Peter in his misery, in his pain, in his shame, he goes back fishing. He goes back to fishing. And we read it in John 21, verse 3 to 17. So some of the other disciples were with him at this moment as well. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they say, we'll come too. So they, so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out. Fellows, have you caught any fish? Just odd, odd word to say, fellows. Fellows. Boys, lads, gentlemen, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat. Can you believe they were on the wrong side of the boat? They were fishing all night on the wrong side of the boat. And Jesus just comes up, hey, what about you if you try the right side of the boat? Just crazy. So silly. Are they really fishermen? I don't think so. And Jesus says, you will get something. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. 
Then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was Jesus, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it for work. I just love those kind of things dropped into the scripture. We needed to know that his tunic wasn't on while he was fishing. So good. Dean's going to preach a message on that one day. It's going to be great. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the load, loaded net to the shore. For there were only a couple hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire. We can just close the message there, really. Fish cooking over charcoal fire. I love Jesus. He's a man after my own heart. I love cooking on charcoal. It's just good for the soul. Good for the nostrils, that smell. It's good stuff. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Jesus is referring to when Peter declared that even if everyone else abandons you, Jesus, I will never leave you. And then Jesus is like, well, do you love me more than these guys? Because they didn't abandon me. Actually, John was at the foot of my cross. Where were you? And it's almost like a punch in the gut for Peter. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus repeats the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time, he asks him, son of, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because three times Peter denied Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And it's a, it's a, a brutal reality that Peter's facing right now. Where Jesus is like, well, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me? Well, then do what I've asked you to do. Do what I've called you to do. Be the fisher of man that I have called you to be. We see two things here. That Jesus loves Peter so much that he doesn't just abandon him and say, you, you messed up, mate. Go fishing. I don't care anymore. Go fishing. Jesus is not like that. He is not that God. He is a God of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances, of fifth chances. We see that Jesus meets Peter where he is. And the second thing we see is that he loves Peter too much to leave him there. He'll come down and meet us in our situation. He'll come down into the mud and pick us up, but he's, he loves us too much to leave us in the mud. He loves us too much to leave us in our hurt, in our shame, in our pain, in our regret. He loves us too much to do that. Do not sit in your pity. Do not bathe in your regret. 
Do not chill in your shame. Jesus will meet you there, but he doesn't want to leave you there. He doesn't want you to stay there. He loves you way too much to leave you in your hurt. Peter Peter denied Jesus three times after promising Jesus that he would never leave Jesus. Could you imagine the guilt? Could you imagine the, the shame that Peter felt even in that moment? Even when he realizes that that is Jesus on shore. Chucks on his tunic, of course. And then he runs, swims to Jesus. But there still must have been guilt. There still must have been shame. There still must have been some sort of pain in his heart. Knowing that he denied Jesus. Peter was called to be a fisher of men. To declare that the kingdom of God is near. Now... He's back to fishing for smelly fish. Yet Jesus meets him there. Jesus meets him where Peter thought, this is it. This is now what my life has become. I thought so much was going to happen. I thought so much greatness was going to come. Peter probably thought that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome, rule, and Peter was going to be next to him, waving his sword around, declaring victory. But that's just not how it turned out. So Peter went back to what? He thought what his life was before Jesus. So Jesus meets him there, and then Jesus challenges him. You know you are loved by God when he challenges you. Because if you've ever had a good father, he challenges you. My dad, who's not perfect, but he's pretty close, challenges me. He wants me to be the best me. He asks me to keep going. He instructs me to keep pushing, to keep doing, to keep going. He doesn't leave me where he is. And there's a scripture that says, if your earthly father knows how to do good things or give good gifts, imagine your heavenly father, the perfect father. How much more good things does he have in store for you? So Jesus is challenging Peter. Is this what you think you should be doing? Is this where you're at? Is this the best for you? I've called you for more. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Because Jesus loved Peter way too much, Jesus didn't leave him there. And he loves you way too much. He won't leave you where you are. He will not leave you in your pain. He will not leave you in your shame. He will not leave you in your guilt. We celebrate resurrection Sunday because of what Jesus did but he did it for you so that you can have a life that means something and so that you can have a life in eternity with him he will not leave you there after Jesus challenges Peter to leave his low point Jesus reminds him of the way to get moving the key to leaving the low point the key is the Holy Spirit. Jesus was so sure of this that even before he died, rose again, he said in John chapter 16, verse 5 to 7, but now I'm going away to be to the one who sent me. And not one of you are asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, It is best for you that I go away. 
Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. It is better that I go away. Not one of the disciples would have been convinced of those words. Not one of those disciples would have been like, yes, sweet. He's going to go away, but it's going to be good. Because, you know, he said the advocate's coming. I don't know what he looks like. don't know who he is. But he's coming and it's going to be better than Jesus. They're not convinced of that. Jesus might as well have been talking to a wall and gone, it's better that I go, you know. They were not sure of that. In what way was it better that Jesus left them? The Messiah is in front of them. The Messiah is with them. And he's like, oh, it's better that I go. Yeah, right. The key is in verse 7. If I don't go, the advocate won't come. Jesus is saying that in order for them to have the key to be able to leave their place of sorrow, to leave their place of disappointment, to leave their place of pain, to leave their place of fear, Jesus needed to go so that he can send the advocate. That sounds a little contradictory to what I said earlier about Jesus will never leave you. Jesus will never leave you alone. He has gone to be with the Father and he is, he is up there interceding on our behalf. He is still doing something for us. The work is finished on earth for him, but he's still up there. But he will never leave you alone. Instead, he sends the advocate. An advocate is someone that stands up for someone or protects someone, defends someone. That's what an advocate does. Other words for an advocate are a champion, an upholder, a supporter, a promoter, or a protector. Jesus did what he had to do. It is finished. Now it's our turn to do what he has for us to do. It is our turn to get up, to recognize what Jesus has done, to stop feeling sorry for ourselves, to stop sitting in our pain, to stop blaming other people for our own messes. Listen to me, it, it probably is someone else's fault. You know, someone, someone may really have really hurt you, and I'm sorry for that. But you cannot sit in that shame anymore. You cannot sit in that pain anymore. You cannot do that anymore. Your life will go nowhere if you stay in that state of mind. Victors win. Victors do, victor, uh, victims do not. Do not be a victim to your circumstance. Instead, come out victorious. Stop thinking that you can't. Stop thinking it's too late. Stop disqualifying yourself. Don't do it. Jesus is asking us if we love him. If we do, then we should feed his sheep. We should lead his people. We should love his people. We should lay our lives down to serve his people. I just want to call out another thing. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. It's probably a bit too strong, that one. You cannot be a Christian by yourself because Jesus came for the whole world. He laid his life down for the whole world. And church is the way that we live that out. You know, we come together, we encourage one another, we build each other up, we serve each other, and then we go out and serve others. We go out and look after other people. 
Sundays is where we get filled. Sundays is where we get championed. Sundays is where we get encouraged. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is where we live out what he's called us to live out. It's where we do what he's sent us to do. You cannot be a Christian alone. You have to do it with people. You have to do it with people. Feed his sheep. How do we do that? By accepting yet another free gift. On Friday, I spoke of the free gift that Jesus offers us, and it's grace. But the grace is useless if we don't accept it. The grace does nothing if we do not accept the grace. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot move in your life. You cannot have the key to get out of your sorrow and shame and pain if you do not accept the key. You need to take the key. And the key is the Holy Spirit. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he says in Acts 2 verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere you go, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes, upon, comes to you, when your advocate comes, when your upholder comes, when your supporter comes, when your promoter comes, when your protector comes, when your champion comes, you will receive power. Power to live the life that you were created to live. Every human being wonders why they're on this earth. And if you're, you've not wondered that yet, you're probably two years old. No offense. Everyone wonders why they are here. Everyone wonders why am I created. Everyone wonders why me. Why am I in Brisbane? Why do I live in Redcliffe? Why do I do what I do? Why am I here? And every single one of us have a beautiful plan and a purpose for our lives that Jesus has given us. A unique plan, a unique purpose because we're made uniquely. He has a plan for us and it looks different for everyone. Everyone's plan is different. Everyone's purpose is different. Everyone's will that God has for their lives uh, is different. But there's one common ground. There's one foundational piece that we all have in common. That we're all called to do. That every single human being is created to do. And it's found in this short verse. You will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about His love. Tell people about His grace. Tell people about His mercies. Tell people about His kindness. Telling people about Jesus. That is why we are here. That is why He has saved us. That is why He has called us. That is why He laid His life down for us. That is why He rose again. So that we can spread the good news of Jesus. So that more people can accept the fact that they are called, saved, and created for more. So that more people can accept the fact that there is a heaven and there is an eternity that you can spend either in heaven or in hell. If you accept Jesus, you will be with Jesus. If you deny Him, if you do nothing, if you do not accept Him, you will not be with Jesus. 
That is what we are here to do. Among other things, but foundationally, fundamentally, we are here to spread the good news of Jesus. To tell people about Jesus. Tell people in Redcliffe, throughout the peninsula, even Caboolture, and to the ends of the earth. Be his witnesses everywhere we go. Some people say, if, use, if necessary, use words. And, and yes, that statement is somewhat true, but we should always use words. We should always declare the goodness of Jesus with our mouth, but with our actions as well. You cannot declare Jesus is Lord of your life and then kick a dog in the street. Maybe not that, but you cannot declare that Jesus is Lord of your life, that he's come to save you, he set you free, but you treat your co-workers like jerk. You cannot do that. It's in our actions that we speak so loudly about who Jesus is in our lives, that he has set us free, that he's redeemed us, that he's called us for more. It's in our actions as well. Not just with our words, but with our actions. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I want to read it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. I've said this a few times, and I'll keep saying it. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come to comfort us. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come to to make us feel good. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come to support us. Yes, He does all those things. But He comes to give us power. He comes to give us power. The Holy Spirit gives us power, power to stand up and speak out. Even when it seems as though everything is against us, the Holy Spirit is there to give us the power to do what is right, to do what we are created to do. The Holy Spirit gives us power. If you just zone out for the rest of the message, I just want you to know that. The Holy Spirit gives you power. But you have to accept that power. The Holy Spirit, if you have accepted Jesus into your life and you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, He's in you and He gives you the ability to have power. You've got to choose to live out in that power. He gives you power to share the good news of Jesus. Power to declare that He died for the whole world and He rose again so that whoever believes in Him will receive everlasting life. And we see this example in Acts chapter 2. Verse 1 to 4, I probably should have let you know, there's going to be a lot of scripture today. Verse 1 to 4, starting in verse 1, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. It goes on to say that people from other nations that were in Jerusalem at the time overheard them.
and they were speaking in their native language and they were declaring the goodness of Jesus. They were declaring how Jesus has rose again, how, to, how good God is. They were declaring amazing things about Jesus and these people were amazed. But some accused them of being drunk. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, 14 to 21. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock is much too early to be drunk. It's much too early for that. I'm really glad that this is in the Bible. It's just wise. It's just too early. We would go on further. Thank you, Peter, for that. It's just not good to be drunk at all. But nine o'clock is far too early to be drunk. Thank you for that. That's good. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord's arrival. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the message of Easter. That is the message of Easter Friday, Good Friday. That is the message of Resurrection Sunday, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter and the other disciples came out from hiding. If you go back and read earlier in the chapter, they were in this upper room, A, because Jesus said to them, wait, wait and pray. But they were fearful for their lives. They were back in Jerusalem where Jesus was arrested and crucified. And they are so scared that the same would happen to them. They are petrified that the same would happen to them. Now that the power of the Holy Spirit is upon him, upon Peter, he declares what happened. He declares that they arrested Jesus, that you killed the Messiah, but he is risen. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The power of the Holy Spirit brings this man boldness. We'll continue on in Acts chapter 2, 36 to 41. So let no one in Israel know for certain, no, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, rep- replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said 
were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Peter was given the boldness to speak the truth, to say it how it is. No more beating around the bush, no more hiding in the upper room, no more scampering around in Jerusalem trying not to be seen, no more denying Christ. No more of that. Straight to the point. He went from being scared of the people in the city to telling the people in the city, it's your fault. You did this. You killed the Messiah. You killed the Lord. But He is risen. He is risen. Telling the people that through Jesus, they can be saved. The Holy Spirit comes to us and influences the way that we think. The Holy Spirit comes to us and influences the way that we speak. The Holy Spirit comes to us and influences the the way that we treat people, the way that we interact with others. The Holy Spirit comes to us and influences the way we see God. The Holy Spirit comes to us and influences the way that we see ourselves. He influences us to do what we are called to do. It's not just a once-off thing. When you receive the Holy Spirit, it doesn't end there. There is power that comes upon you to do what He has called you to do. When you receive the Holy Spirit and you may start speaking in tongues, and that's all good, that's fantastic, that's great. It's a weapon that we get to use. But it's not everything. There is more to the Holy Spirit. There is more for us to tap into. The Holy Spirit is there for us to live a powerful life. Peter was a changed man. He went from being a coward to being strong, full of faith and boldness, influenced by the Holy Spirit to be the man he was created to be. And this is just one example of the power of the Holy Spirit. If you continue to read the book of Acts or even just the whole Bible, you will continue to see how the power of the Holy Spirit works through mere men and women, where the dead are raised back to life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power lives in us. It says that the power that Jesus was raised back to life through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that same power is within us. Can I have the band to come up? please. Jesus came to earth, God's one and only son, the Messiah, who all the prophets wrote about. There are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. And each one of them are fulfilled through Jesus. It is him that they wrote about. It is him that they prophesied about. He is the Messiah. He is the one to come and liberate us, to set us free. He is the one that the Jews have been waiting for. He came for all humanity, to save all humanity. By going to the cross and dying, then three days later, raising back from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, defeating the power of sin over humanity. It is finished. Now it's our turn. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter the way you look at yourselves, no matter the way others look at you, no matter what you've done, 
no matter where you've come from, no matter where you think you're going, no matter all of those things, God will meet you where you are. And He loves you too much to leave you where you are. He will challenge you. He will lift you up. And He'll give you the key to move on from where you are. And that is the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes power to do what He has called you to do. To do what He has called you to do. His plan for our lives is to work in and through us by the Holy Spirit. And He was so convinced of that that He said, it is better that I go. So that the Holy Spirit can come and work in you and work through you. This Easter Sunday, let's, remind, let's remember that Jesus rose from the dead so that we can live a life full of purpose, full of meaning, full of hope, full of joy, so that we can be who He created us to be. So let's partner with Jesus. Let's recognize that He has called us to spread the good news everywhere we go. Let's, let's accept the gift of the Holy Spirit and let's allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and through us in power. In power.